This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, Scott Bennett, formerly of the U.S. Army 11th Psychological Operations Battalion, is standing by, and we'll get him get to him in a few moments. Uh, Scott attempted to, uh, well, not attempted, he blew the whistle uh, by contacting the uh, commercially controlled media and writing to U.S. politicians after being sacked from his job as a terrorist finance investigator uh, after he proved to be, to be a little too zealous at his job. Uh, first, let me introduce the uh, the boys in the band on the other side of the glass on the Flying V Gibson guitar, uh, Ian Robertson, my technical producer. Uh, here in studio with me on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and the theremin, Albert Vinzel, my story producer and occasional remote viewer. Uh, normally, at this time, we do What's in the Box, uh, where we ask Albert to utilize his uh, remote viewing skills to transcend space and time and identify what uh, is contained in our um, humidor. But uh, I thought we'd give it a rest um, a, I forgot the humidor. <laughs> and uh, secondly, perhaps more importantly, um, Albert has been struggling a little bit of late. And uh, he's wearing many hats here in studio. He's running our Hangout on Air. He's the story producer. And then I ask him to be a remote viewer every night for about five minutes. And struggling, I think, is um, an apt description. I think you're 0 for 4 in the last little while. So we're going to give it a week or two, and uh, Albert, you can rededicate yourself to the uh, the protocols of remote viewing, and we'll pick it up again. Maybe we'll wait, I'm thinking, until uh, early in the new year, which is fast approaching, 2017, 2017, because I know some of uh, you people like to, to play along at home and uh, send in your answers on uh, uh, to my uh, Twitter feed, but we'll get back to uh, what's in the box a little bit later. Uh, a programming note next week on the program, Toronto area author researcher Mike Sovey will be here to discuss the legend of John Teeter. Do you remember the Teeter legend? Uh, it, it involves this mysterious individual who started 
posting comments in forums back in the early 2000s. These are the early days of the Internet. And claimed he was a time traveler from the year 2036. And he had traveled back to the year 1975 to collect some antiquated but necessary computer from an IBM that his grandfather had, I believe. Uh, This was a computer part that was needed in the future. Uh, Then he stopped off on his way back to 2036 in the year 2000. That's when he started posting, and the story was picked up by Art Bell on Coast to Coast and later George Norrie, my good colleague at Coast. And uh, the interesting thing was Teeter had made a number of predictions about the future that actually came true and then some others that did not. Uh, Fascinating legend. Uh, so Mike Sove will be here to discuss uh, this, and uh, he has some theories as to who John Teeter may have been, assuming that he wasn't uh, a time traveler. Uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator, will also be here to discuss her new book, uh, which she's co-authored with John Zaffis. Those of you f- who are fans of the uh, sci-fi channel TV show The Haunted Collector, John Zaffis. It's called Demon Haunted. True Stories from the John Zaffis Vault. That's uh, next week. All right, let's get to our main entree. A whistleblowing report was submitted to the U.S. Congress detailing the connection between the CIA, U.S. Department of Justice, and the UBS Switzerland. This is the Union Bank in Switzerland, to the Al-Qaeda and ISIS terror networks. And this report was submitted back in uh, May, I believe, of 2013. Uh, This report also contained intelligence reports which were available that could have prevented the Benghazi attack on uh, the U.S. Embassy, which led to, of course, the uh, horrendous rape, torture, murder of Ambassador Chris Stevens and um, other personnel there. Uh, But this report was buried. Uh, These are just some of the reasons why, uh, for example, Edward Snowden decided to release what he had learned directly to the public. The report was written by my guest. Scott Bennett is a U.S. Army Special Operations Officer, 11th Psychological Operations Battalion, Civil Affairs Psychological Operations Command, and a Global Psychological Warfare Counterterrorism Analyst, formerly with defense contractor Booz Allen Hamilton, which looms large in this story, as we'll discover. Now, I'll I'll tell you that that his bio is is lengthy, but I'm going to read as much of it as I can. It's important to establish Scott's bona fides here. He he received a direct commission as an officer, held a top-secret sensitive compartmentalized information security clearance, and worked in the highest levels of international counterterrorism in Washington, D.C., and MacDill Air Force Base in Tampa, Florida. He's developed and managed psychological warfare theories, products, and operations for U.S. Special Operations Command, U.S. Central Command, the State Department Coordinator for Counterterrorism, and other government agencies. He served in the George Walker Bush administration from 2003 to 2008 and was a social science research fellow at the Heritage Foundation. His writings and lectures seek to enhance global awareness and understanding of modern psychological warfare the international military intelligence community, and global surveillance operations being artificially generated under the specter of national security. He's written extensively on the intelligence community's surveillance activities addressed by Edward Snowden's National Security Agency Central or CIA materials. And since 2010, he's filed numerous military government whistleblowing reports with congressional committees, including the intelligence, the armed services, the government oversight and reform, Homeland Security, the Judiciary, Foreign Affairs, the Banking and Terrorism Committees. He's communicated with over 100 federal representatives, senators, senior military officers, and Pentagon officials and journalists about the scandalous abuse of power and deception 
being employed against the American people by its own military intelligence community and filed legal action against Booz Allen Hamilton and the Department of Defense for their involvement in secret Swiss bank terrorist finance operations, which he uncovered with the help of Union Bank of Switzerland whistleblower Brad Birkenfeld. His groundbreaking book is Shell Game, and uh, that is available uh, through Amazon. Scott Bennett, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Uh, It's wonderful to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. This is a, um, a, a long, a complex story, many players uh, involved, and we only have about 45 minutes. So let's, um, let's give, us, uh, give us a thumbnail sketch of what was contained in this whistleblowing report that you delivered to the United States Congress. Well, let me just first start out. Uh, Amazon's been taking down the book a lot. So the best place for people to get it is to go to lulu.com. That's L-U-L-U.com. And then type in Shell Game by Scott Bennett, and it'll bring it up. That's the publisher itself. So people can access it uh, by going www.lulu.com and then search Scott, uh, Shell Game by Scott Bennett. And the, the book Shell Game really was the first whistleblowing report that, that I submitted with Brad Birkenfeld. Actually, on September 25th, 2012, that was the very first report that we sent up. And that was after uh, six months of my interrogation of Brad Birkenfeld as the Swiss banker who had come over from Switzerland and tried to give all of these terrorist financing bank accounts, some of which were controlled by Osama bin Laden's brother, uh, as well as Saudi Arabian royal family members, as well as um, you know people from different parts of the Gulf nations, Qatar, Kuwait. One uh, significant person was Abdullah Aziz, who was directly tied with uh, various Saddam Hussein oil for food programs. And they, there was a very intricate web of bad guys and their money. And that was my job at the military and at Booz Allen Hamilton. I was tracking the money, uh, tracking the bank accounts, tracking the the uh, money laundering mechanisms, everything that bad guys, terrorists were using to get paid, to get money, to get weapons, to get bullets, to get bombs, to use against U.S. troops and against our national interests. And I came into the military and I, I you know, came into the Bush, the, the Bush, Bush administration too, to fix problems, to end the war, to go home to my crops, to settle these wars once and for all, and to, to enhance the military's capability to do war fighting by combining my professional experience, my writing, my background, my, my entire skill set. And I ran into, of course, the military industrial complex and the contractor world of Booz Allen Hamilton and suddenly realized they didn't want these wars to go away. They didn't want to end, end the, the stupidity of some of their operations with intelligent thinking and intelligent diplomacy and intelligent psychological warfare. And when I ran into that, I was quickly removed from my position. But there was a, a very cosmic or uh, miraculous turn of events in when they removed me from my job at U.S. Central Command. And my boss was Dove Zakheim. And Dov Zakheim, many of your listeners may know, was the comptroller at the Pentagon where $2.3 trillion went missing and were funneled towards uh, various Israeli expenditures. But Dov Zakheim was my boss, and he was the one who had removed me from my position because of 
my my uh, aggression and my outlandish, you know, my So you were doing creativity. too good. You were doing too good a job, so they let you go. I think that's go. the way to say it. Yeah, that's the best way to say it. So the the this these uh, these accounts that were uncovered in the uh, the UBS. This is the Union Bank of Switzerland. Yeah. Now, yeah. How do you I mean these are numbered accounts, are they not? I mean, how do you trace they, these back? Yeah. To these, they are. They're uh, well. They're numbered accounts in Brad Birkenfeld. How you know? It's it's such a vast story. I mean, you couldn't make it up. But when you begin to to really draw it out on a whiteboard, you see some fascinating connections. And and just to make it real easy and to make it a real short version, uh, Brad Birkenfeld had left Switzerland after the CIA had come after him to make him an, an economic espionage asset. Edward Snowden was part of that CIA operation at the time. The CIA had put Brad Birkenfeld into a compromising DUI position. Brad was in a Swiss jail. The CIA came, flashed the badge, got him out, and tried to turn him. He left Switzerland, flew over to the United States, went into the Department of Justice, and brought a briefcase full of documents. Now, the interesting thing was the Department of Justice kicked him out, didn't want anything to do with him, didn't let him tell his story. He had to go to the SEC. He went to the IRS. And then no one would talk to him until finally he went into the Senate. And that's where he disclosed this material to uh, Senator Carl Levin, Senator John McCain, Senator Barack Obama at the time on the Senate Permanent Subcommittee of Investigations. Right after that, Brad was prosecuted for tax evasion or, or conspiracy to commit tax evasion, basically by betraying him, by using everything that he gave to the United States government, everything he told them, they betrayed him with and prosecuted it with him, and they threw him in prison. And that's where he met me, because the uh, powers that be in the Justice Department had come after me and thrown me into the, the same prison, if you will. The, the bus took a uh, U-turn in Oklahoma, and miraculously, I wound up in, in Pennsylvania, and that's where we came together. And we put our heads together. I said, this was my job. How did I find you here? I should have found you at a top-secret base. And he said, Scott, I was forbidden from talking. So whether the White Hats put us together or what, we put this report together where I I combined my skills as a military intelligence officer and as a finance guy with Brad's raw WikiLeaks cables and banking uh, documents from Switzerland. And we submitted it up to General James Mattis, to General Ray Odierno, to General Martin Dempsey, to the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee, the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Intelligence, House Armed Services Committee, everybody you could imagine. And no one did a single thing. Now, an interesting date is on September 11th, 2012, that was when Brad Birkenfeld was paid $104 million to go completely silent. And he didn't speak a word after that. So that was the very same day as Benghazi. And there's a lot of speculation in the intelligence community that Brad Birkenfeld was paid off $104 million by gold that was taken out of the uh, Libyan uh, coffers, the Ukrainian coffers. Let me and just all stop you, moves. Scott. We've got to, we're in into a break here, so let me sure. uh, let me pick it up on the other side. Whistleblower Scott Bennett. The book is Shell Game: The Betrayal and Cover Up by the U.S. Government of the Union Bank of Switzerland Terrorist Threat Finance Connection to Booz Allen Hamilton and U.S. Central Command. Back with more right here on the Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 
or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This is no place for the naive or the faint-hearted. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Scott Bennett is with us. Shell game. A whistleblowing report. Uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, defense contractor, what else do they do? Well, Booz Allen Hamilton is an old firm back from the 19, late 30s and 40s. They erected IRS and they formed Homeland Security. Uh, they're deep into the intelligence, military contracting realm, all of the government uh, areas of operation. They've got headquarters in Hawaii, which is where Edward Snowden worked with several of my colleagues. They've also got operations in McLean and in uh, uh, northern Virginia, two different parts in, in McLean. And they, in my particular venue, I was brought in to do psychological warfare based on my advertising background and then uh, terrorist finance based on my interagency experience in the Bush administration. And they ran the terrorist finance account out of McDill Air Force Base in Dove Zackheim. The money man at the Pentagon was now in charge of the money uh, of counter-terrorist operations, which I found very ironic, uh, if not laughable, because this guy really is a a thief, uh, essentially. And Booz Allen Hamilton was tasked with finding all of the sources, the bank accounts, the money supplies that uh, terrorists from Al-Qaeda and ISIS and every bad guy in between were using from uh, all the Gulf nations and Iran and uh, everywhere in our area of operations. And what I found out was that the law firm Covington and Burling in Washington, D.C., which had a relationship with Booz Allen Hamilton, and had also employed Eric Holder and Lanny Brewer, the Attorney General and the Assistant Attorney General. Uh, this big law firm represented Union Bank of Switzerland, HSBC, uh, and a few other banks. And essentially, this law firm that had control over our Justice Department was also working with the Clinton Foundation, was uh, essentially creating this big triad, this big conspiracy where they were protecting the Saudis and enabling them to funnel money to Syria, to uh, ISIS fighters, to Libya, uh, using Qatar, using uh, various Saudi accounts. And Covington and Burling was covering it. And, and uh, Booz Allen Hamilton was, had given a, been given a contract to fight it. And they were all in bed together. And my boss, Dove Zakheim, his son, Roger Zakheim, worked at the House Armed Services Committee, and I had been sending my reports. I had been going over the heads of my military authority because they were doing nothing, and I went right to the House Armed Services Committee. Well, that was going right to Roger Zakheim, and he was basically hiding these reports and not getting them up the chain of command. You mentioned that he, sorry, he, left and went, he left and went to work at Covington and Burling. So there's an incredible... Uh, incestuous conspiracy that everybody can can clearly mark out. You can connect the dots. You you can't make this stuff up, but it's there. It's horribly uh, treasonous against the people of the United States yeah. and and Canada, mind you, because you're us- losing troops as well. Snowden's uh, the timing of Snowden's uh, whistleblowing and, and and going public. Uh, ex- explain explain the importance of the timing there, because it's it's not too long after. Um, 
you're uncovering this that he decides well, to go public. You're right. I mean, he essentially. <laughs> I won't. I won't go too much of my relationship with Snowden on air because uh, that's the big, the big thing the bad guys want to want to track down and find out about. But Snowden went public after seeing my report bouncing around U.S. Central Command in the military TSSCI channels on the Sippernet, on the Nippernet. Uh, Snowden saw my report. He recognized Brad Birkenfeld because he had worked a, in targeting Birkenfeld when he was in Bern, Switzerland. So Edward Snowden was part of the Birkenfeld operation. Edward Snowden saw my name on this report involving Brad Birkenfeld in Swiss banking. And uh, um, two months later, contacted Laura Patras and Glenn Greenwald and started making the preparations to leave uh, Hawaii and go to China. So there's no doubt that he saw me and he saw uh, Birkenfeld and he realized that, that, you know, things are only going to get worse if they're doing this to these guys. I need to take this and make it public and do something with it. And Julian Assange had been sending Birkenfeld uh, WikiLeaks cables that detailed the entire State Department, Clinton Foundation and Hillary Clinton role in financing terrorism and, and hiding uh, Brad Birkenfeld's material and, in fact, prosecuting him to cover this up. And, and that's the greatest crime that I'm, I'm very confident at the end of the day, all of these people will be brought into some sort of a international criminal court hearing because this, is, this was covered up from 2008 to 2009. That's when they knew about this. That's when Birkenfeld brought this together. And I worked at the State Department in 2008. And uh, Hillary Clinton, the Clinton Foundation, Eric Holder, Lanny Brewer, the, the, the uh, law firm Covington and Burling, and certain members of the United States Congress, in concert with certain military people, including General James Mattis of U.S. Central Command, who's now the Secretary of Defense, including Jeff Sessions, including a variety of people now on the Trump, uh, Trump team, they were all cons either sorely ignorant and somebody interfered with their mail, or they were sore, sorely cowardly and they refused to do anything about it. Now, I can understand people being ignorant. I can understand things being uh, you know, lost or, or people not getting it, but I can't accept cowardice. And these, these people in Congress and the military who swore an oath to the Constitution, they received my report and chose to do nothing. And I know they received it because I got letters back. I got it back from Rand Paul. I got it back from Jim Webb. And they both said, we're, we're not going to touch this. You have to take this to someone else. Well, this isn't like I'm complaining that my shoes aren't the proper sheen or that I'm not getting enough uh, cake on my, my uh, food rations in the Army. I'm an Army officer communicating that terrorists are getting money from Swiss banks and no one is stopping them. Right. And it was my job. So I, nobody knows this better than I do, congressman, general contact me for details. And they never did. The only people who came to see me were the Washington Post reporters, Tom Hamburger and Michael Isikoff. And they never said a word about this. And they never returned my whistleblowing reports that I gave to them. Well, the Washington Post should be sued for treason because they had this material in 2013 and they buried it. And I said it to Michael Hastings as well. And we know what happened to Michael the late Hastings. Michael Hastings, yes. Um, has, you, has this book been heavily lawyered? There's a lot of lawyers that I've spoken with that I know. I never reveal anything classified. All of the material came to me from Brad Birkenfeld, so essentially they can't classify it because it was outside of a military set setting. I was a skilled military officer in this field of practice, 
So in, in my meeting with Birkenfeld and forensically analyzing his documentation, I'm giving an honest forensic analysis from a professional terrorist finance uh, expertise that they can't, they can't, uh, they can't uh, you know, classify it because it's essentially, hey, look what I discovered. And I know this is, this is rich with actionable intelligence. And now I'm, I'm presenting it. We set it up uh, to the military commands, to the Senate and the Congress, but no one has touched it. So they can't touch me for it. Uh, and I've been, I've, you know, I've, I've sort of woke up to this whole endless war in military industrial complex. And I've committed myself to continuously uh, bring this to the, the public eye, bring it to new leaders in uh, Congress and uh, forever uh, challenge the powers that be that they need to uh, review all of this material. They need to go back in time and look at Edward Snowden, Brad Birkenfeld, Hillary Clinton, the State Department Counterterrorism Office, uh, Covington and Burling, Dove Zakheim, Roger Zakheim, Booz Allen Hamilton. They need to know get all of this laid out because the American people, if they knew what I knew, would absolutely go into a revolution and be so fear infuriated because their sons and daughters have been killed, have been maimed by by weapons that have been funded by these banks since 2008, 2009, they, even before that. Brad brought this stuff in 2006, 2007. But when I discovered it in 2012, I, I instantly, I said, Brad, we have to make this public. I, I, I have to make this known to my superiors. And that was September 25th, 2012. Uh, from that day till now, they have not done one interview with me, not one forensic analysis of the bank accounts. The only thing they've done is paid off $104 million to Brad Birkenfeld to make him go silent. And the CIA were deeply entrenched in it because they had been targeting him. There's a lot of uh, discussion that Brad, when he was first coming out, uh, was, was targeted by uh, CIA and uh, Vanity Fair, were told to go away from the story, not to publish it. So there's a there's a long list of, of funny stuff. And how about for you personally? Attempts on your life? Well, you know, I, I entrust myself to God. Nothing has uh, happened that I can't take myself or fight my way out of. And I've got everything sufficiently backed up. So if anything did happen to me, uh, and I'm never suicidal, that's for sure. But if anything did happen to me, there would be a lot more that would come out that uh, Brad and I had, had effectively been carefully uh, repositioned, let's say that, with, with attorneys as well. Uh, is there a connection here with the mysterious circumstances surrounding the death of Andrew Breitbart? Uh, there very well could be. You know, this is a this is a large um, a large story that when we originally made it known, I mean, the, the Panama Papers are connected to this because I was in touch with Frederick Obermeyer back in 2014, and I brought all this forward to him. And right after that, I, like about uh, well, shortly after that. Frederick Obermeyer, Brad Birkenfeld were at a Miami conference talking about offshore accounts and such. But a year after I brought this to Obermeyer, guess what he did? Obermeyer got together with some other guys uh, and put together the Panama Papers and called it this great uh, disclosure of Swiss banking and various offshore account stuff. And, it, and Brad had said, no, 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 that sounds like a CIA operation. 
So I, I think they've been, they've been uh, we were the first ones to bring all this stuff forward. And I think a lot of WikiLeaks, of course, WikiLeaks has done the best job because they've exposed all of the State Department cables uh, from uh, various people that talk about Saudi Arabia and Qatar uh, funding terrorism. DIA, General Flynn at the DIA, the, the cables that came out from him talking about Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, and, and the Gulf nations wanting to back ISIS. That came out in August of 2012. Well, even, That came it, out right after we communicated with the military. So all of this stuff started with Brad Birkenfeld and myself filing that initial report on August 1st, 2012. All this Saudi money uh, that went to the Clinton Library and to the Clinton Foundation, uh, Qatar giving a president, uh, Qatar rather, giving President uh, Clinton a million dollars on his birthday, is that is that hush money? Well, it, it is absolutely uh, hush money. It's it's an investment into Hillary Clinton that she would continue to do what she promised to do that she started to do in 2009. And that was Hillary Clinton got all of this material, uh, saw Brad Birkenfeld, conspired with Eric Holder and Lanny Brewer and Covington and Burling and Booz Allen Hamilton and Saudi Arabia, conspired to hide Birkenfeld's material. You have to understand, Brad Birkenfeld's 24,000 bank accounts had hundreds of millions of dollars that were being used for drug trafficking, money laundering, as well as tax evasion. But I was interested in the terrorist financing. And Hillary Clinton made that go away and disappear by prosecuting Brad Birkenfeld. And they never investigated any of the bank accounts that he brought. They investigated like 4,000 of them, and the rest just disappeared. They never pursued them. And they did that on purpose. They did it on purpose in exchange for money that the Saudis and the Qataris and the Moroccans and the Bahrainis all promised to pay off Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton for their State Department sign-offs and the, uh, the Justice Department giving deferred prosecution agreements. So they gave a deferred prosecution agreement to, to Union Bank of Switzerland. Uh, Robert Wolf, chairman of the Americas of Union Bank of Switzerland, became Barack Obama's uh, uh, finance bundler. I got to jump in here again, uh, Scott. We're uh, up against another break. We'll uh, pick it up on the other side. Scott Bennett is the author of Shell Game, a whistleblower's report, and we'll come back and discuss further when The Conspiracy Show continues right after this. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Loose lips sink ships. And sometimes corporations. Got something to say? Call Richard Serrett now at 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Scott Bennett is with us, 2nd Lieutenant, United States Army Reserve, 11th Psychological Operations Battalion to the Department of Defense Inspector General. Uh, Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, also another name there, James Clapper, uh, recently stepped down, head of uh, the NSA, National Security Agency, uh, who, of course, we will recall, uh, testified that the NSA was not monitoring or spying on American citizens. Uh, This was another... Uh, one of Snowden's 
uh, revelations. Uh, and and Clapper was uh, employed at Booz Allen Hamilton, was he not? Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. All of these high-level people, been the NSA or CIA, have done the the revolving door. And I saw that in the military too. High-level colonels uh, would retire and go right into Booz Allen Hamilton. And in one sense, it was very sickening because they had only money and profit, and it was a game to them. This 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 wasn't a a bloodbath and a blood fight. Young men are the ones who are getting tore up and killed for the most part. But these high-level officers uh, just just would move around Washington D.C. in a in an endless chain-smoking uh, sort of a you know a, a a pastime, a hobby, working in the industrial complex. And it was all it was all talk. It was all theory. Um, it was very sad. But that's why I committed myself when I discovered this to be absolutely committed to getting it up and, and publishing it, and never backing down. And I never have. So what does this mean for your future career, if you have one? Well, uh, this is all still in the courts. It's still being processed with the Florida courts and the federal courts. I've sent it to the Trump people, and I keep sending it to numerous members of Congress. And we've started to walk in and videotape our confrontations with members of Congress and being very blunt uh, in, in saying – this is a whistleblowing report from a military officer about high-level terrorist financing that involved the Clinton Foundation and the law firm Covington and Burling and several members of Congress, and you are being given service of this and expected to fulfill your oath by investigating this. And we've done it with uh, Mark DeSaulnier of California. We've done it with Catherine Baker of California because I live in California. So we're taking it up a notch and, and uh, videotaping our, our engagements, and we'll be getting Senator Feinstein very soon. We've already sent countless letters, and there's there's another book uh, called Exhibits on the website, and those are all the letters that went out to all the members of Congress, and it'll show in very plain black and white uh, the service. Now, for me, I you know I've I've had a very active uh, active career so far in in just articulating and explaining and and providing insight to RTV to RT uh, Russian television has been very. Uh, very uh, documentary oriented in, in presenting this uh, after President Putin looked at some of this material, you, you may not forget, uh, immediately went into Palmyra and exposed the Turkey terrorist connection to financing these guys. So, you know, there's an argument to be said Putin saw this report and instantly made it part of his uh, counterterrorism strategy. The only ones who haven't have been the United States military and the United States intelligence community because they're invested in this ISIS monstrosity to use them to destabilize Assad and to stabilize Iran and destabilize right. Russia. Well, do and they've th already destabilized Europe too with it. Uh, the the claim that uh, that that Putin uh, was behind these leaks uh, to to WikiLeaks, which Julian Assange has denied. Uh, do you have any comment on on that? Yeah, I don't think the Russians had anything to do with it at all. I think that's complete nonsense and propaganda. They've done that because they have to make Russia the boogeyman against the United States. That's their only play left. This country has lost all integrity when it comes to the mainstream media. It's also lost all integrity when it comes to political leaders. That's why Donald Trump cleaned the clock of everybody, because he was the only man's man who stood on the stage and acted like a man. Every other one of these little metrosexual uh, weaklings got up there and just chattered typical establishment claptrap. And the American people, I described it as 
The American people have been hunched over a toilet puking their guts out for the last 15 years from all of the imperial aggression and wars that has been unleashed from George W. Bush to Barack Obama. And finally, Trump, they, that's the reason they voted him in, not because they loved him, but because they absolutely feared, loathed, and hated Hillary Clinton and knew that she would take us into endless war, if not the final war. And that's why they voted for Donald Trump. So he's allowed them to puke all this stuff out of their system, and they're finally feeling good about themselves. And now you see this congressional act to try and continue this nonsense about Russia being a threat and targeting all the alternative media. I, I wouldn't be surprised if your show is on that, that illustrious list of, uh, of uh, you know, fake media sites that they're trying to say. I'd say that that list of, of those media organizations are really the best media organizations that people can pay attention to because they're telling the honest truth. Well, if, if, if 2016, if there's anything uh, that has come out of you know, this unbelievably upside-down election cycle uh, that, uh, you know, has, has re let's be honest, it has divided, no matter which side you're on here. Uh, it is the, the, the lie of the, uh, the mainstream media, uh, you know, acting as an honest broker, as, as the fourth estate is intended to be, to, to afflict yeah. the comfortable. I mean, that has been laid bare. And now, finally, yeah. we can open our eyes and uh, we all owe our paranoid friends a beer. Uh, that's for yeah. sure. We'll uh, take a time out, come back with Scott Bennett, Shell Game. A whistleblowing report when the conspiracy show returns. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to the conspiracy show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free 1 866 740 4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peering into the shadows where the truth often hides. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. In 2011, a second lieutenant Scott Bennett, Ph.D., U.S. Army Special Operations Officer, Psychological Warfare Analyst, worked in the highest levels of counterterrorism, intelligence, and politics in Washington, D.C., and uh, was a, um, a leading writer and thinker at the uh, State Department Counterterrorism Office, U.S. Special Operations Command, U.S. Special Operations uh, Command in the George W. Bush, in the George W. Bush administration. Uh, he was... Uh, unlawfully imprisoned, he maintains, on trumped-up charges by the Obama administration for filing intelligence reports exposing terrorist finance corruption involving the Clinton Foundation, the Muslim Brotherhood, U.S. Central Command, and Booz Allen Hamilton. Uh, he was imprisoned, fought his way out. Uh, how did that happen? Uh, Scott, how did you get out? Well, they charged me with making a false statement on a housing form, and this is the first time in the history of the country that the Civilian Justice Department has been allowed to prosecute a military officer for a military housing form filled out on a military base. That's a military issue that the military should have handled, and they never did because the Justice Department stepped in and made it a felony. That way they could prosecute it. They fought, they prosecuted it as 100-1. Uh, 18 USC, which is making a false statement to an official government entity, as if I had made a false 
report to a FBI investigator or the IRS or, or something like that. And I thought it was a test, to be honest with you. I thought it was a it was a test or a joke or or some somehow they were testing my resolve to see if I would break under pressure, if I would, you know, uh, crack because I was set to be deployed. I was a I had a top secret clearance and I, I just couldn't believe this was real. And they prosecuted me with this uh, nonsense charge. And Donna Shalala's nephew, that's the other connection, Donna Shalala, who was president of the Clinton Foundation, her nephew was put in to represent me. And that's why I thought there's there's got to be politics involved. This is not a real thing. This guy's there's something funny here. And next thing I know, they put me into a, into a jury trial. The, the guy never represented me at all, never put one piece of paper that I that I had asserting that everything I'd done was was uh, not in violation of the law. And he didn't do a single thing to defend me. And before you know it, I'm I'm charged with making a false statement on a housing form and they whisked me off to jail. And that's where I've been fighting it ever since to and the courts have ignored it, ignored it, ignored it. So I've had to go all the way up to the appeal appeals court level to say you never had jurisdiction. You're con you're constitutionally forbidden from charging a military officer with what you've charged me with. And it's it's a complete perversion of justice. And it's been that's the miracle. I never quite knew why they were doing this at the time. I knew they didn't like me because I was a solid Republican conservative Bush heritage guy. And I was about winning the war. And I'd also published a paper about how tragic uh, the, the don't ask, don't tell policy, if you changed it, how that was going to inflame the Muslims around the world to be uh, recruit, recruit new fighters and recruit all sorts of money against us because suddenly we would be painted as this, uh, you know, amoral, you know, army that was trying to violate their lands. Well, the moment after I wrote that report and sent it up to the White House and sent it up to the Pentagon, uh, they sent me an indictment letter. So, the the charge itself is laughable. I'm confident at the end of the day it'll be it'll be thrown out of court. But the miracle is, had I not been put in prison, I would never have met Brad Birkenfeld. And if I'd never met Brad Birkenfeld, I never would have gotten the documents, the WikiLeaks cables, the bank accounts that all link directly to the her to to uh, the Clinton Foundation and the State Department right. and all these terrorist financings. And that's what we gave to Donald Trump too. We've been in touch with his staff. We said. And many other people have contacted him, radio guys that have done interviews with me and have said to him and his staff, not him personally, but to his staff, you need to know this guy. You need to get this stuff. We've He's been making whistleblowing reports and trying to get it out. It links to Hillary Clinton. And when we started doing that, you'll recall Donald Trump started changing his vocabulary in, 2000, in, in July of this past year. He started saying exactly what I wrote in my report. That ISIS is financed by the Clinton Foundation, Saudi Arabia, Qatar, and everybody in between. All right, and now, I never try and take I never try and take credit uh, because it's I'm not interested in that. Right. I'm interested in winning this war and stopping these corrupt politicians uh, like Hillary Clinton, like Barack Obama, like Eric Holder and Lanny Brewer. Stop them because the blood cries out from the ground of these soldiers who have been killed since 2012 because they've done nothing about these terrorist finance accounts. You wrote this uh, report while you were in, in prison. You, you hammered it out on a typewriter, and then you smuggled it out. How did that happen? Yep. Uh, I had had some guys who were working at the uh, airport that took the reports <laughs> and smuggled them out of their shirts 
and got them out and, and used the printing press at the airport to make multiple copies and uh, sent them out to members of Congress from the airport because we were I had several interferences with my mail. I think the CIA were trying to stop everything that came out from the prison. And uh, I had people out. I had people and their families uh, outside of the prison contacting the media. That's the other thing. All the media were contacted about this. They never did a single thing. So it, it is really a wild, crazy story you couldn't make up. But it's 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 all absolutely true. Smuggling reports out of prison, getting them on planes from guys who were prisoners at the airport, getting them to the Congress, uh, getting them to the military. And I know they were getting places because the warden of the prison would come into my my uh, bunk area and go through my locker. And the, the guys around me would say, my God, Scott, you, you've got the warden himself going through your locker. What, what's going on? And it was because somebody high up was saying, how in the hell is this Bennett guy getting these reports out? What is, who is he? What is he doing? Well, he's just an officer that you train to fight and win a war, and he's doing his job. He's fulfilling his oath. He's doing his job well. And at the end of the day, all of you are going to hang because it's all in black and white. It's all documented. And if anything ever happened to me, more documents, of course, would come out. But the, the, the heart of it is uh, the WikiLeaks cables and the, the uh, bank accounts that Brad, Brad Birkenfeld brought forth that you know, are just now being examined. Uh, and I think uh, in, in the spring, you're going to have some very interesting uh, turns. You're going to have some of these uh, congressional hearings actually do some prosecuting using our evidence. Uh- I've noticed that many people have taken note that uh, that uh, since being elected, Trump has has backpedaled on uh, wanting to appoint a special prosecutor. Not that that would be up to him. I mean, the, the, the division of powers, the pre- that's right. not the president's uh, job. That would be right. that would be the attorney general. Uh, and, you know, if they get the evidence from the FBI, then that would. Right. So uh, I guess he's 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 trying to play both sides of the of the fence here. He's trying to you know to heal the nation at the same time, saying, "Listen, I'm not I'm not going to do that." But if there's any new evidence, that would be up to the attorney general. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's right. That's right. But and what about a, are you concerned? I mean, what about a pardon? What about a blanket pardon from from Obama? Oh well, Obama certainly could pardon Hillary Clinton and all of her minions, uh, but that wouldn't protect her from civil lawsuits. And we saw them file civil suits against O.J. Simpson, for example, and any of these people who've escaped criminal prosecution. Uh, that's the only thing that a pardon can do is is protect Hillary Clinton uh, and others from criminal prosecution. But there, there are certainly civil lawsuit grounds that people can file for wrongful death, for for filing, uh, you know, getting getting material, getting material from a military intelligence guy that clearly showed that uh, – that uh, terrorism was being financed through Swiss banks and that there was a conspiracy to hide this information as evidenced by imprisoning Brad Birkenfeld uh, and, and imprisoning Scott Bennett, imprisoning others who were, in, you know, part of sort of the broader culture, John Kiraku uh, or Kiraku uh, and, and others. Uh, all of that can be brought into a civil lawsuit. And right then and there, you you see Hillary Clinton uh, and all of her uh, staff at the Clinton Foundation working. And it, I mean, the evidence is there, the WikiLeaks cables, you see the emails between John Podesta, 
Stuart Eisenstadt, who is an attorney at Covington and Burling, Lanny Brewer, who's the assistant attorney general communicating with the Clinton Foundation, Cheryl Mills, uh, Hillary Clinton communicating with all of these people about terrorist financing. That's treason against the United States. And it's not difficult to make that argument in, in court. So I, I think there will be civil suits that will be coming up uh, after the criminal. Uh, we'll, we'll see what Barack Obama is going to do. We, we don't want to jump the gun and give him the excuse to, to uh, pardon her. But if he does, that won't make much of a difference because it'll it'll still be carried forth. And of course, the other the you know big elephant in the room is Barack Obama himself is uh, been you know labeled as a as a traitor to the country and has all sorts of scandals associated with him. And and there's all sorts of uh, you know allegations of his fraudulent uh, lifestyle in in uh, in the White House. So. There's a lot of uh, a whole den of vipers that are associated with this, but I, I try not to get too far afield. But I will also say, in, in prison, is that's where I learned the most about 9/11 and the false flag attacks that were associated with 9/11. Yeah, well, but that, we'll have to say that for a, for another show. We're we're almost yeah. out of time here, but I I want to. Boy, this is a difficult one. Um, I'm going to ask you, and you may just. I don't know how you're going to react, but you know, you you gave the report that you, to to Michael Hastings at Rolling Stone magazine yeah. about Swiss bank accounts and how yeah. they implicated Hillary, and then of course Hastings dies in a, a suspicious auto accident. Yeah. Uh, do you feel any responsibility for that? Not that I'm saying that you should, but I'm just wondering how that how do you I mean how that weighs on you. Well, you know, if he if he died in pursuit of the truth and defending the truth, uh, you know, he died a happy man. Uh, life is not about things. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of things. It's not about reputation or comforts. Uh, it's about fighting for truth and speaking truth uh, for the powerless and and the people listening to your show and and starting to become educated in this material. That's why we speak. That's why we write is to empower our fellow citizens who will not live as slaves. They will not live in oppressed jail cells, but they want knowledge to liberate themselves. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So I don't think Michael Hastings uh, died necessarily from uh, our report uh, that Brad Birkenfeld and I created, it certainly was a, a factor, I think, and, and he was being he was beginning to connect the dots and probably uh, he was already being watched and they uh, they they didn't want it getting out. But uh, thank God for Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and thank God for uh, Edward Snowden uh, taking off when he did. And uh, I thank God for Brad Birkenfeld, because if I had not met him, and discovered all this material, uh, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have uh, chinked. It wouldn't have confirmed everything that I was doing at U.S. Central Command. And I thought this right here, the fact that they've hidden you away and all of your material, they've hidden you away and all the bank accounts, they've allowed terrorism to thrive, and that is a treasonable offense. That's an act of treason. So all of this nonsense that the, the, the Congress is trying to put these legislations together to uh, accuse Russia of hacking and accuse Russia of meddling in, in uh, the American affairs, all of that is nonsense. And we're paying the price for it because Europe is rising up in a right-wing political backlash because they're not going to tolerate any more of these weaponized migrants 
that are being ushered into Europe from North Africa and all over the Middle East. It's getting getting ready to boil over. Uh, We just had the Prime Minister of Italy step down. Uh, They have the rise of the far right now in Austria. Uh, Unintended consequences. Um, Scott Bennett, you're a brave man. I thank you for spending some time with us, and we'll uh, we'll talk again uh, soon, I hope. Happy to. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right, Scott. Scott Bennett. Shell game. Military whistleblowing report. All right. Uh, My website is strangeplanet.ca. Strangeplanet.ca. At least I hope it's still up and running after that discussion. Uh, Please say hello on Twitter, at Richard Serrett, S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. And as always, as painful as it sometimes may be, follow the truth. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. Hey, thanks for inviting me into your home. Long-haul truck, your RV, camper, your taxi parents basement your loft that greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods a special hello to all of you listening in on our flagship station zoomer radio am 740 and 96.7 fm here in the liberty village of toronto uh hi to all of you catching us on the the podcast stitcher radio itunes uh tunein.com TalkZone.com. Don't forget our good friends at TalkZone.com. Those of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations, uh, the apps, of course, the Zoomer Radio app and the Conspiracy Show apps, both free downloads. Uh, those of you live streaming us on uh, YouTube through our Hangout on, uh, on Air, HOA as they, uh, they call them. Uh, however and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. Math Magician. Marty Leeds is standing by. He's going to discuss his work in the deconstruction of the mathematical foundation of the English alphabet, uh, decoding the cipher used to create the, uh, the alphabet by uh, exploring the ancient science known as gematria, uh, using mystical, religious, and secret society symbols, methodologies, and concepts, as well as the transcendent, transcendental and infinite number of pi, and much, much more. Uh, we, uh, we may also uh, delicately, I, I, I say uh, with emphasis, we may also delicately dance around the, the Pizzagate scandal uh, you no doubt, no doubt have heard about. Um, I'm going to wade into that one carefully. Uh, and I know Marty has been, uh, has been uh, posting a lot on that. Uh, Ian Robertson is here on the other side of the glass, twisting the knobs and dials. Albert is here in studio with me, running our HOA. And incidentally, if you want to live stream us on YouTube uh, and join the Hangout on Air, it's real easy. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, S-Y-R-E-T-T. Uh, and while you're there, uh, please say hello and follow. Uh, once you're on the feed, find the tweet at or near the top of the feed, and you'll see the, the tweet containing the uh, the capital letters HOA. That's a link. Just click on it, and you're in, and uh, you're watching this transmission on YouTube. Uh, was the King James Holy Bible written mathematically? Can the holy name of God 
known as the Tetragrammaton, used by occultists, Kabbalists, and religious worldwide, uh, be f- uh, religions worldwide, be found within the English language. What do the concepts of heaven and earth refer to, and what do they have to do with geometry and man's place in the cosmos? What have the Freemasons' brotherhood been trying to conceal and reveal to humanity throughout the ages in their symbols and lodges? All of these questions uh, will be uh, answered and more. As uh, Marty Leeds joins us for the next half hour, we'll get into all of that. Marty Leeds is the author of five books, Pi and the English Alphabet, Volumes 1, 2, and 3, and The Peacock Peacock's Tales, The Alchemical Writings of Claudia Pavonis also available on Amazon.com, as well as Pi, the great work. Uh, he is the host of his own podcast, the Marty Leeds Mathemag- Mathemagical Radio Hour, available on iTunes as an ongoing lecture and video series available on YouTube.com forward slash Marty Leeds 33. Marty Leeds, L-E-E-D-S 33. He's been a guest on many popular podcasts and has lectured throughout the States and Canada. He's a musician. He has three records. Uh, We'll talk about those as well. And uh, I I believe he's working on another full-length record. Uh, Or perhaps that's already out. Uh, No, it's slated for release in 2017. And he uh, currently resides in Eugene, Oregon. Marty Leeds, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let's get a crash course here in uh, Gematria, if we could. Uh, This is, uh, I guess, has roots in in ancient Babylon and and ancient Greece and and so forth. How does it work? Well, uh, Gematria is the art of assigning numbers to letters. And as far as I know, it's been around as long as we've, as language has been around, really. Um, So... You know, most people know Gematria through Hebrew, through, you know, Yiddish or Hebrew and that start. But, you know, uh, Gema- I mean, Hebrew isn't like the sole proprietor of the art of Gematria because we know that, you know, this this art has been, this scientific art has been within, um, you know, Greek, like I said, Hebrew, uh, Arabic, uh, Sanskrit, et cetera, et cetera. There's a bunch of different languages. So I think most of the major languages that we know of have actually had a mathematical cipher to them or structure to them. So... I mainly focus on the English alphabet, but in a sense, basically what Gamatri is is basically saying that there's there's um, architecture behind language, and it's it's mathematical and it's very theologically based, very mystically mystically based. So, and do these, what is the the significance of the numbers that are assigned uh, to to letters? It's almost like the, is it is it similar to the Pythagorean screed? Well, I mean, you know, numbers numbers themselves are sort of like cosmological principles, um, in my opinion. They're they're actually embodiments of of natural principles within creation that actually make creation. So, language, um, in and of itself, is is symbolic, you know. Um, and and the numbers that are t- tied to those um, those languages and the letters and then the words, obviously. Um, have a relationship to the to the word itself. So, um, you know, a lot of people, a lot of numbers that come out that are pretty strong, like 108 or 33 or 2160, there's a lot of very important numbers that are sort of, these are like cornerstones, if you will, um, it, that uh, help you kind of understand the architecture of creation, that a lot of these cosmological principles, um, constants within creation have actually been crafted into the language and have passed on, have been passed on to us. Uh Words also have uh, frequencies, and frequencies have numbers, uh, you know, cycles per second and so forth. Uh, is that something, is, is that an area that you also explore? Is that tied in with this? 
I mean, I don't really get into that too much as far as frequencies. I mean, somatics is kind of a big study that's that's um, really popped up within the last like 10 years or whatever. That's not something I, I get involved with too much as far as the actual frequency is concerned. So I, re I mainly deal with um, number patterns, codings, what numbers mean, what their qualities are, where we see them in creation, how they're affect, how they're um, related to the human being and how the human being actually, you can, you know, using the human vessel or human temple, if you will, come to understand the mathematics of creation um, just through your own body. Right. When we talk about the King James Bible, and, or you talk about the King James Bible being written uh, mathematically, what, what do you mean by that? Give us some examples. Well, as we know, I mean, this really, you know, I've, I've said this before, and it seems like kind of controversial, but it's actually not a really controversial statement at all. Um, Hebrew, we know for a fact, like the original Hebrew Bible was complete, was written mathematically. There's, there's really no question about it. In fact, that's really what the study of Kabbalah is, in one respect, is looking at, you know, the Hebrew Bible, you know, this old, the Old Testament, and decoding it mathematically. And um, the Greek is the same way. Um, I know for a fact that the Greek Bible has been written uh, mathematically. In fact, some like some of the major like terms, like abraxas, for instance, in Greek equals three hundred and sixty-five. You know, there's things like that. So, how does it work? So, when you know, when we look at the the King James version of um, the the Holy Bible, this is the Bible that was translated by King James and his seventy-two scribes back in, you know, what was it, 1600, something like that, when basically the the modern version or, you know, the modern English alphabet was sort of like taking off. So around that time, you basically had the formulation or the construction of the English language, really where it was getting a lot of widespread use. Um, and then you had the um, translation of the English, the English Bible by King James. And so during this whole time, basically what my whole thesis is, is that the, whole, the Bible was translated from the original Greek into English and it was translated mathematically. And so to really even really come to even understand the Bible in and of itself, you have to really read, if you will, between the lines. You have to go and see the mathematical structure behind it to actually truly read it. And maybe we can talk about some of some of the things in the Bible. But. Well, yeah, we have we have a few moments here before we, we break. Let's can you give us some some examples? And and then my other question is, does does the the mathematical sort of underpinning of of language uh, or or in the Bible, for example, does it does it carry with it a a special power? I mean, otherwise, why is it there? Well, the reason—I mean, I would say number one, the reason it's there is that one of the things that this understanding of mathematics allows you to do is understand that there is a creator, that there is architecture behind our language, and not only our language, but there's architecture behind our creation, and that man is actually put in this very unique position to come to understand that architecture. When we're— placed in um, in this world, in this plane of dimension, if you will, all we're given is questions about our reality. There's really no direct answers that we're given. And so, and we're, you know, we're, we, we, we see the spectrum of questions like, is there a God? Where did we come from? Where are we going? What is the meaning of life? All of these sorts of things. Well, the one thing that this study of mathematics did for me, and I think it's what it has done for all the ancient people as well, and why they actually crafted and, and, and coded this stuff into scripture, holy scripture, is that it tells you that not only is there architecture, but you can actually come to understand that architecture, that architecture that of mathematics that is a language, and that language is the language of creation. It's the language of nature. 
um, if you understand this Gnostically, if you understand it as a, you know, a direct insight into nature, really what you're doing is speaking the language of God. So the reason that they encoded this stuff is because they were speaking God's language. Um, the problem that you have right now is that most people don't speak this language. Um, and so you really can't, you know, it's just like I say, if you ever really want to have a conversation, you kind of have to speak mathematically because that's a language. So, um, so that's really what it's there for. As far as like supernatural powers and things like that, um, that I, uh, that is kind of beyond my study. Um, I, I, I don't really know about that. I can tell you that my own consciousness and my own understanding of reality has changed because of this study. That is that is for sure. Uh, your your website Marty Leeds thirty three. Your your YouTube channel the the, the number thirty three. Uh, w- what is the significance? Thirty three is um, one of these numbers that is in, it's. It's it's I mean it's it's a cornerstone of like mysticism and esoterica and one of the places that most people actually come to find it is within um, the Scottish Rite Freemasonry. Scottish Rite Freemasonry has 32 and 33 degrees, and so a lot of people will see the number 33 and immediately assume that it's a Masonic number or something like that. Well, first off, no one owns numbers. No one has you know, no one has jurisdiction over numbers. Numbers just are what they are. So when we see the number 33, um, a lot of people will get this gut instinct that it's like a Masonic number, so therefore evil. Well, I mean, the cornerstone of basically human, you know, spirituality, if you will, is really your spinal column. Um, you don't have to go very far to see this. You can actually just look at on like a, a, the modern day symbol of medicine, and you can actually see the staff of Hermes or the, you know, the staff and the rod right, right. of the serpent going up, and that's Kundalini. So really, what that is is a symbol of your spinal column, and you have 33 bones in your spinal column. So the spinal column has long been known to be this focus of mystical, spiritual work, and then you see the number 33 attached to it. And so, and and this goes beyond. So this re- really, what this says is that everyone, in one respect, that's born onto this plane of existence, is attached to the number 33, and hence why the importance of 33. All the Freemasons are breathing a sigh of relief, saying. Whew. He explained that so well. We're off the hook. We're not evil. (laughs) Marty Leeds stays with us. We'll come back and discuss things like the golden ratio uh, when we come back right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Pin numbers, passcodes, social insurance numbers. If they make you wonder how private they are, here's two more numbers. 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Math magician Marty Leeds is with us. His website, MartyLeeds33, the number 33.com. We've been talking about Gematria, and uh, I want to talk about, uh, it goes by a number of, of different names, uh, the golden mean, the, uh, the divine uh, um, proportion, the golden ratio. Uh, you take a number, or you take a, a, a line, you divide it into two parts. The longer part is divided by the smaller part, uh, and it's also equal to the whole length divided by the longer part. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, there you have the golden ratio. It's found in, in, in art. It's found in the human face. It's found in architecture. What is this golden ratio all about, Marty? 
Um, this is one another another one of these like archetypes of um, creation itself. These one of these um, you know basically cornerstones of mathematics, constants in mathematics that man can come to understand a basic principle within math that he can see all over creation to help help him see that this is um, you know that that's that there's um, architecture there that there's um, intelligence behind creation. So the golden mean is one of these ones that are really easy to see because. It's like you just said. I mean, it's basically in all sorts of things. It's in the human body. It's in plants. It's in the, the way sometimes like rivers meander and these sorts of things. So, and you know, the golden mean um, is the number one point six one eight. So basically, um, you can you can find this in the Fibonacci sequence. But one of the places you can actually find it is is in the perfect pentagram. So if you make a if you just draw a perfect pentagram, you can actually find this ratio within the line segments of the that star. So what one of the what's what's really interesting about this is that you know when you were a kid like you know just subconsciously you would draw stars you were always just drawn to this sort of geometry that's just within our subconscious it's in creation it's in the patterns of creation and it's really it's a it's a, a one of these mathematical you know like i said constants within creation that man can come to understand the intelligence around him really you know and uh the the human face what does it say that the human face i mean how does that work how does the golden mean or the divine proportion apply to the human face well i mean there's it applies basically all over the body in in certain ways so and there's i mean you can actually go online and actually see breakdowns of where the proportions are you know roughly of this 1.618 or phi in the human body one of the things that the you know leonardo da vinci's vitruvian man is actually showing that's a really famous one where the guy's Vitruvius actually his arms are out and his, his legs are spread out and he's standing in a circle in a square there. And so one of the things he's showing there is actually phi because if you take from the bottom of your feet to your navel and your navel to your top of your head, that break there of line of line segment will basically be one in point six one eight or one point six one eight. So, um, and this is the, I mean, you find this basically in um, your arm, you find it in your hands, you find it in when you actually uh, uh, curl your forefinger, you find it, you find it in the cochlea of your ear. So, I mean, this, like I said, this is like a cornerstone of creation that we can come to understand basically through simple geometry that there is intelligence in creation. And so this is why it's been, the, the pentagram has been known for a really long time. It's, you know, it's been in churches and things like that, but it was actually the um, ancient symbol of the Pythagoreans as well. So and there's there's a reason why because it's got one of these archetypes of creation. What are your what are your thoughts on astrology? Uh, I know now you know we, we tend to poo poo uh, astrology. We we read our about our, our signs in the uh, in the back of the newspaper, but when the when the ancients studied it, they were it was more there was more science behind it. The radionics of the spheres and so forth. How, what are, what are your thoughts on astrology and does that figure into um, your your work. Yeah, actually, I just did. I just posted a lecture um, this morning um, on basically looking at the zodiac, um, the uh, the twelve ages of the zodiac, and kind of what that means and that sort of thing. You have to understand that the first um, sky watchers, you know, people that were actually doing terrestrial observations of the stars, doing like you know real hands on science, if you will, they were. What I mean, what what is the reason to actually track the stars for for the you know the people back in the day? Well, the reason to track the stars was to track time. 
So when you are tracking the movements of the stars, whether that's the retrograde motion, whether that's where Aries is, whether that's blah, 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 if you look at the sun and the moon, we retract them because you were tracking and mapping time. And time is the stage in which, you know, basically all of the drama of human existence plays out on. So when those ancient people were tracking and watching those stars and watching the ascension and declination, what they were really doing is keeping track of the movements and ebbs and flows of time. And these were these people were avid sky watchers. They didn't have TV. They didn't have radio. They didn't have anything to, you know, distract them from this study. And so really what you have is, you know, thousands of years of people doing actual scientific work and then passing it on to us. And then basically our culture not doing any of this true terrestrial navigation or, you know, a, a tracking of the stars, seeing it ourselves, you know, looking up online or reading a few books and then just kind of poo-pooing it. So astrology to me is um, basically it's um, one of the great, great um, holy sciences, esoteric sciences like gematria, like symbolism, like numerology that um, really kind of tells you man's connection to the heavens. And how about as a predictive tool? You know, um, the the only thing that I've seen as far as um, th- that's just something I didn't really get into because of the because of the you know the uh, interpretive aspect of astrology. It's not something that I've really gotten into. Really, my um, study of astrology was bo- was more um, like of the academic sense. Like, for instance, you know, when you look at the twelve ages of the zodiac, they're not really thirty degrees each. You know, so and there's that, you know, there's part of the ecliptic that Ophiuchus actually comes in and, and, and kicks his foot in there a little bit. So is there really 13 signs? So really, my question was, is why is there this consistent theme with, you know, why is it 12 ages of the zodiac? Why is the, you know, why is there the houses? Why is the Aries always the sun always rising in Aries? Why do we have these symbols this way? Why these particular uh, words surrounding them? So that was my focus on that as far as like predictions and prophecy and stuff like that, I always really steer steer away from that because I don't want to, I don't want to be the person that, you know, uh, plants something in somebody's head and, and that sort of thing. I've just never really been into that. So. Marty Leeds is uh, with us, math magician, and his website is martyleeds, L-E-E-D-S 33, the number 33.com, martyleeds 33.com. Uh, uh, I want to talk to you about the number three because that's, uh, that's sort of the magic number. Uh, now, I'm uh, I'm homeschooling uh, my boys, and we're um, right now we're sort of hunkered down in long division. It's kind of a mastery approach, everything to do with long division. So there's a little bit of you know finding the area of a triangle, uh, a trapezoid, and all that sort of thing. But um, to me, I mean, I wish I had you teaching my boys geometry because you just you make it come to life. But talk to me about speaking of triangles, you know, three sided figures, pyramids. The number three. Why why is number three the magic number? Well, three is three is the magic number um, because the three three is really kind of it represents time in and of itself. Um, so when you have the when you have the creation of time, basically what you have is past, present, and future. And past, present, and future are happening all at once. If you think about it, you know, um, you know, because it was just the past now, but now it's the future, but now the future, or I mean, it wasn't the present, and now it's the future, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. So basically, you have time as past, present, and future becoming one fluid movement. And this is really what you have with the Trinity. Um, a Trinity, the Trinity is celebrated all over the world in, in Hinduism and in Christianity, and you find it in Egyptian, uh, the, the Egyptian pantheon and things like that. And that's tri-unity. It's three tri becoming one. So this, and that's where the combinatory word of Trinity comes from. 
So really, when you see the Trinity, um, what you're really looking at is the um, basically the worship of God, if you will, because um, God has created everything. God exists within all things, so God is within existing all the time. So pastors in the future becoming one. So that's three becoming one. Three is also really interesting, too, because it's the first, you know, in two-dimensional mathematics and two-dimensional geometry, three, the number three, is the first thing or um, a geometric shape that actually encapsulates space. So you just have a point, which is one, two points in a line doesn't create any space, but then when you actually get to three points, that encapsulates space. And that's what I actually call your, um, like an embryonic polygon of creations, the first geometric form in creation. So if you were thinking geometrically or mathematically about how to create the universe, and you were actually thinking one dimension to two dimension to three dimension to four dimension, etc., the first geometric form you'd come across would be the triangle. And so that's why you see so many of the triangle of the triangle represented in so many different things, even architecture as far as pyramids. You know, a lot of times you'll see a triangle behind, uh, you know, in, in illustrations of God. He'll be, you know, the halo will actually be a triangle. And, there, you know, this is the reason for it. The triangle also represents 180 degrees. So any triangle that you look at has 180 degrees. Well, um, you know, so it doesn't matter, obtuse, right, acute, isosceles, it doesn't matter. Well, 180 is actually intimately linked to the human experience because, you know, just how you view the world if you just look at your head, you can turn left about 90 degrees from your facing forward, and you can turn right about 90 degrees facing forward. So basically, you standing where you stand, you see roughly about 180 degrees, that's right. the, the swivel of your head. So all of this stuff is you know, intimately linked to how the human even experiences existence in and of itself. You should be tutoring geometry online if you're not already, uh, or just math in general. I mean, do you do that? Have you, uh, do you have a background as a teacher in math? Um, no, it's just um, what I do online and and stuff like that. So um, no, I don't. I mean, there's really no school that's interested. No college is really interested. Um, most conferences, honestly, aren't interested because it's math as far as like conspiracy conferences and stuff. So it's basically what I can just um, get across online in videos and then you know through books. But you make it come to life. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I could listen to this all night. I mean that. Uh, Marty Leeds uh, is with us, mathematician, martyleeds33.com. We're coming up on a break here in just a few moments, but I wanted to ask you about pi. Speaking of three, so we have 3.14. Um, what, what is the significance of, of pi? Well, as you know, when we spoke earlier about how basically numbers and mathematics are the language of the creator itself. So this is the, you know, cross-culturally, it doesn't matter what language you speak or where you come from or where you were, you know, when you existed in time, anything like that. Basically, mathematics has always been the same. And so it's the sort of language of the creator. Well, when you actually go to look at this language and all of the mathematical constants that you get within it, one of the ones that stands out the most is pi. Um, anybody that goes into any sort of mathematical study is going to come to pi at some point because it really is this sort of just like thorn in the side of mathematicians. It's a really big mystery. And so to me, from how I've come to understand it is pi is actually this mathematical word of God. So when you when you hear of, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, you know, you have to ask, well, if God is speaking a word, what word is he speaking, you know? And so my question, you know, my answer to that was, well, obviously God is speaking mathematics. And so if he is speaking mathematics, then he's, then the, the word is a mathematical word. 
And, you know, this isn't just in Christianity. Of course, you find it in Hinduism as well with the Om, and you actually find it in um, – There's, a, I mean, the, the idea of an omnific word has been around for a very, very long time, covered in lots of esoteric doctrines. So, um, so yeah, that's basically what pi is. Um, pi is basically the all or the eternity of with that circle, and then you have the line. And this is sort of like the beginning and an end that a line has, and then the circle has no beginning and end. So it really brings the eternal opposites of infinity and finite into one geometric form and encapsulated within a number. Uh, uh, the number 23, uh, I think you and I, you were on the program some time ago, and I think we broached this. I, I can't remember, though. There was a, in, Ten years ago, there was a, a movie with Jim Carrey. And it was uh, the number. It was called the number twenty-three. Um, sure. Fascinating. Uh, all of the the coincidence, not coincidences, but all the, the significance of the number twenty-three and how it uh, plays out in our lives. And of course, Jim Carrey in this it's a psychological thriller. Uh, he is haunted by the number twenty-three everywhere he turns. Maybe we can can we chat about the, the number twenty-three a little bit when we come back. Sure, yeah. Excellent. We'll do that. And then also, time permitting, I know that you've been uh, writing quite a bit about Pizzagate. Maybe we can traipse through that very delicately, shall we? Sure. All right. We will be back with Marty Leeds right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. The owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Marty Leeds is with us. His website, martyleeds33.com, and Leeds is spelled L-E-E-D-S, martyleeds33.com. I want to talk about the number 23, and uh, there is a subculture, 2030ians are uh, people who subscribe to the mystical power of the number 23. They see it in multiple combinations uh, throughout daily life. And there's been not one but two films about uh, the number 23. There was a, a German movie in 1998 called 23, and then the movie The Number 23, starring Jim Carrey. And uh, they each film has a, a main character obsessed with that number. So, uh, Marty Leeds, what's going on with the number 23? Well, I mean, the first thing, whenever you go to look for, like, the significance of a number, the first thing I always like to do is kind of go back to that Delphic Oracle thing, of know thyself kind of thing. So, you know, when you look at human genetics, um, each, each the mother and father both contribute 23 chromosomes in the act of procreation to continue human life on this earth. And so 23 is this a number that's the cornerstone of human genetics. It's, you know, it's, it's fundamental to the human being. So that's the first place that, you know, 23 really shows its face that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, in the English cipher, heaven, you know, you have the concepts of heaven and earth. So, and these are really kind of the concepts of as above and so below. But um, Genesis 1-1, in beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So you're given this, um, you know, basically pro proclamation from the Holy Bible about, hey, there's heaven below our feet, and there's heaven, you know, uh, or excuse me, uh, earth below our feet, and heaven above our heads. And heaven in English Gematria equals 23, and earth equals 24. 
And of course, there's 24 hours in an Earth day and a solar day. And so that makes sense that you have 24. And then it's a, and then you kind of have to ask, like, okay, well, what, why is heaven 23 then? You know, if Earth is 24, it's what we're standing on. There's 24 hours in a day. That all makes sense. Well, then if you look and you actually, so you go to this concept of, you know, um, you know, kind of the God, God above and God within as above, so below, microcosm and macrocosm, then you realize that having, you know, there's really there's really a very deep spiritual message there with having the number 23 encoded within the word heaven, because it's basically saying that heaven isn't necessarily all of those stars up above your head. Um, it's actually within you. And so there's really a, a really deep um, spiritual directive there within a single number and a word. I'll say. I mean, most of us who have even a passing knowledge of the Bible will be familiar with the most famous of the Psalms, which is Psalm 23, the Lord is exactly. my shepherd, I shall not yep. want. It's amazing. Um, it's a little bit of a interesting trivia. The um, In the movie Airport, uh, the bomber was seated in seat 23. The number of crosses on Calvary at the end of the Monty Python film The Life of Brian is 23. In Die Hard with a Vengeance, a train derails in Subway Station 23. The lead characters in the Coen Brothers film The Big Lebowski always used Lane 23. And in the television series Lost, one of the combination of six numbers that haunt the characters and they have to input to a computer to avoid an unknown fate is 23. So obviously this is pop culture sort of... Uh, you know, playing up this uh, this um, idea of the number 23. Are there some other instances uh, of uh, 23? You mentioned 23 cro- uh, pairs of chromosomes. Uh, other um, interesting examples of 23? Yeah, um, well, you know, let me say something about that as far as, like, the, the pop culture thing. You were just mentioning J.J. Abrams, who's a big number hound, um, and in, in, the, in the show Lost, there was a, he did a ton of stuff with numbers. I know he mentioned 108 in there and 42. And one of the numbers I know he's associated or that he's actually mentioned several times is 47. And this is a number, um, uh, you know, a very, very popular number within sort of like numerology and things. And we just talked about before how heaven and earth is, you know, heaven is 23 and earth is 24, right? Right. Well, 23 plus 24 is 47. And so, and this is the degrees between Tropic of Cancer and Tropic of Capricorn, number one. So you have some, you know, a pretty something, you know, fundamental on Earth mm-hmm. right there. Right. But um, in the new Star Wars, um, the New Hope, actually, they, the, the place that they go to actually shoot down the Death Star is actually Door 47. Ah. And so, so it's pretty interesting that J.J. Abrams, pretty, you know, it seems, to, it seems to me that he's very, very, you know, well aware of, of this level of knowledge, in my opinion. Right. Uh, are you familiar with the birthday paradox? Um, no, what's that? It's, a, it, uh, it's a, a group of 23 randomly selected people. That's the smallest number where there'll be a probability higher than 50% that two people will share the same birthday. Huh. That's interesting. All right, when we come back, uh, we're going to try, and uh, so many people have been uh, tweeting and emailing and wanted uh, to discuss uh, Pizzagate, and I do want to be careful about this one, and I know this is something you've been uh, writing a lot about, uh, so we'll give people a a kind of a crash course, and we have to be careful about mentioning names. We'll just give them sort of the the thumbnail sketch of what's going on. Uh, Pizzagate with Marty Leeds, when The Conspiracy Show returns right after this. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. 
Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Uh, welcome back. All right, we're going to uh, delve into Pizzagate here just for a few moments. And um, this is kind of timely because there was a, uh, a gunman, uh, or at least a suspect, in a uh, D.C. restaurant uh, shooting uh, that was apprehended earlier today uh, that uh, opened in fire. He opened fire inside a popular pizza restaurant in Washington, or in, um, I think it's in Chevy Chase, which is near Washington. And he has told investigators that he went there to self-investigate a conspiracy theory known as Pizzagate. And uh, it is being dismissed as just that. It involves allegations, some of them through WikiLeaks, uh, that uh, certain, I'm just going to say political officials, I'm not going to mention names, uh, in these emails, terms like cheese pizza was used over and over again. Uh, and somehow this was linked to this restaurant, the Comet Ping Pong restaurant. Uh, and it was suggested that, that pizza was a code word for pedophilia, a child sex ring. And it was somehow headquartered or, uh, at this, this pizza store, this pizza restaurant rather, Comet Ping Pong. And now we have today... Uh, Edgar Welsh, 28-year-old North Carolina man, opened fire inside a popular pizza restaurant. He told investigators he went there to self-investigate this theory known as Pizzagate. And uh, again, uh, Marty Leeds is with us. This is kind of a departure but what we've been talking about, but you've been sort of all over this story, Marty. Uh, again, we have to be careful. I don't want to mention names, but just give us – I've given kind of a very brief synopsis, but – Flesh that out a little bit for those not familiar with Pizzagate. How did it get started? and What does it mean? Well, you know, what Pizzagate really end, is, end up being is it's, it's almost like it's, it's kind of becoming historical in a way because it's the first time that there's ever been really a massive online investigation with, you know, I mean, you're really talking about literally thousands and thousands of people looking into the accusa- accusations that were that you just mentioned. Um, there was a lot of things we, uh, leaked through WikiLeaks, through some people um, supposedly within the FBI, and then basically just people independent online doing um, the research themselves, kind of uncovering this this idea that um, you know basically that there are there is this pedophile ring that has been going on in Washington and has been going on for a very long time, and we we're kind of with this whole investigation, the door is opening a little bit, and we're getting a glimpse to see what's actually kind of going on. Um, I, you know, I, I'd heard of this a little bit and was, you know, I followed it initially a little bit. And then I really sort of dove in as soon as it started going, um, you know, a lot of the information started coming out. So I was on the 4chan, um, uh, threads a lot. I was uh, interacting with uh, some people that were sharing information. And, you know, if you, if you look into it, um, and, and you really take the time to see all the information that has been shared, um, it's, it's pretty damning. Um, I'll just say that, um, and it's it's pretty scary stuff as well. Um, uh, as of right now, I'm 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 working on a documentary on it right now. I don't know if I'll finish it because honestly, it's going into this stuff is is very uh, almost traumatizing. I've been kind of traumatized by it. Sure, sure, Ab- absolutely. Now, 
again, I want to be careful here because these are you can't get any more serious in terms of these allegations. So I want to leave the names out of it. But mm-hmm. what, just without mentioning the names, talk about what was revealed in some of these emails that, I mean, connect the dots. I mean, how does talking about cheese pizza uh, suggest involvement in a child sex ring? Okay, so basically what was found and what people started to put together after, you know, several weeks of really looking into this once the, um, the, uh, the files from WikiLeaks got released, um, there was, you know, there's be, uh, for a long time there's been language that has been surrounding the quote-unquote pedophile community that's it's been established, long established by the FBI. And so there are certain words that are used, um, like, like you were mentioning, cheese and, and pizza and hot dogs. And you can see when somebody, you know, speaks in code like this. I mean, we've all spoken in code before. You know, I've been, you know, at parties sometimes looking for some weed or something and used a code word. And everybody knows what I'm talking about, if, you know, if you know, if, you know what I'm looking for kind of thing. So you can see that basically these people within higher levels of government are absolutely using these code words in a way that when you read the emails, you can easily see that they're not talking about anything but that. So it goes farther than that, so much so that it gets back to um, what you had mentioned, Comet Pizza, and the proprietor of that. And um, he had an Instagram account, and he had, um, you know, he was posting very, um, well, let's just say, lewd and lascivious things um, about children and that sort of thing. Very, um, you know, I don't, I kind of lost for words because it, just some of the things that were posted on his Instagram public Instagram account were very damning, in my opinion. Um, lots and lots and lots of people attached to this account, um, people in higher levels of government and then just average everyday people. But really what, what is so frightening about all of this is it seems to be this is not just a, um, a, a pocket you know, located in the you know, back corners of Washington somewhere. It seems like this thing is really um, – there's almost like a community or um, you know, it's, this is a lot more widespread and, um, than we thought. You know that I ever thought, right? Which is very, very frightening. Yes, it is. I mean, it's it, the story is almost too big. I mean, it's just like it goes potentially to the top, and I mean, how can you possibly, you know, uh, wrap your 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 head around that? I mean, it's just this is just pure evil. Um, it, I, yeah, I found it interesting that that the BBC has been. Um, Sort of taking the lead in 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 trying to debunk this as a mere conspiracy, uh, c- considering that the BBC, of course, one of their star presenter uh, presenters, uh, Jimmy Savile, uh, you know, we now know, decades uh, engaged in decades of um, uh, uh, horrendous child abuse, pedophilia, up until the year 2012, I think, and. Um, the BBC finally had to acknowledge the scandal, and it was forced to open uh, open it up to independent investigators. So I, I just I find that interesting that the BBC would be so quick to dismiss this as a conspiracy theory. That really kind of shows the collusion that's going on between the highest levels of government around the world and um, you know the media. I mean, at this point, I mean, I think most people in the sort of uh, you know alternative research community or whatever or conspiracy theorists have pretty much denounced the media anyway. They're pretty much just a propaganda arm of the governments anyway. But um, really, that's what you see with all of the media right now, with all of this, is is just doing everything they can to cover it up. Um, I know Washington Post put out an article right away that said, you know, this is all just a hoax. 
and then yeah, New York Times just posted something, and I know the Daily Show is going to do something on it. So really, what you see is the the you know the media basically just playing cover up. And you know the thing about the, these revelations is this is nothing new. Um, most of the people that have studied this sort of thing, whether that's black magic or the dark occult or uh, MK Ultra or the Monarch Program. Um, people have been talking about this for 30 years, 40 years. I mean, researchers have been talking about this for a very, very long time. And so that's why really the revelations are nothing new. Um, the, the level of depravity behind them for a lot of people is just too much to stomach. And like I said, once you get into it and actually start to do the research yourself, you will see how pervasive it is. And that is, um, like I said, there's really no other word for it other than frightening. Is is this the year, perhaps? I mean, we have seen some remarkable things transpire in the last 18 months. And I am, of course, talking about the presidential election, uh, the whole campaign. Um, that plus, you know, the, the, the WikiLeaks uh, revelations. Is this the year that, that the lid finally gets blown off this? When I'm talking about uh, pedophilia this uh, at the highest levels? Well, as of right now, what we're seeing is, you know, we're humanity's kind of given, like I said, we, we were given that doorway. It's been kind of open to us. And humanity's given a chance right now to kind of make things right, um, in, in my opinion. Um, and that's really not happening. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk online and things like that, but there's no arrest being made. As far as we know, there's no investigation made. And, you know, I always, I mean, I hope this is the year. Um, I hope so. But really what you're seeing with this is just kind of a falling apart of, um, well, I mean, the complete, you know, trust in government, trust in the the process, trust in the media and that sort of thing. Um, with this, you know, the thing I always said is that when I looked into this, if I was if I was an FBI agent in the child trafficking unit and somebody came to my desk and handed me all of these files, you know, I would I would wet myself because there's so much there. That you know you would you would be busy for the next several years busting these evil people. You know you would feel it would be a it would be a great thing, and so obviously this information is out there. It's prevalent. It's everywhere. Anybody can get to it, and nothing's being done. So that's very disheartening. Um, but it's not really that. You know, I, we didn't really expect that anyway because it seems like they're all in bed with each other anyway. So well, that's that that's. I don't really know what to say about that. I I hope something is done with it, but I don't I don't know. Well, on the surface, there certainly seems to be an enormous amount of compelling circumstantial evidence. But as you say, no investigation. Uh, have any? No victims uh, have come forward, have they? Well, that's the interesting thing about this. Is from what it looks like, th- those those victims are dead um, because of you know basically what these people are involved in, which is goes much farther than you know pedophilia. We're talking cannibalism here and oh, you know murder. Um, and so that it gets that gets. Um, pretty intense. You know, people have actually mentioned that even saying that this is a psyops because it's like, no, there's no evidence. Um, But, you know, there doesn't necessarily need to be a body rolled out into the street in order to start an investigation. You know, I mentioned that, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer wasn't busted because somebody found a dead body. Um, You know, there was leads, there was a lot of connections, and then they finally made it. So right now what we have is um, an enormous amount of connections, an enormous amount of people that have a lot of things to answer to, and no one's asking the questions. No one's, um, you know, really, in my opinion, search warrants, arrests, questions should be handed out like, you know, candy on Halloween. 
Um, but that's not what's happening. And so I think if this, if these allegations continue and this, this, this goes on, you know, the, the, the government and the Department of Justice FBI is going to have to do something. Otherwise, we're going to have more incidents like we have today where somebody's going to walk in with a gun and want, um, you know, mob justice as opposed to the rule of law. Right. And well, we, would hope, we would hope to think that the rule of law still is works, but as we might see it, it doesn't. And at the moment, uh, the mainstream media is uh, continuing to portray this scandal, Pizzagate, as just some crazy fringe alt-right, there's that term again, alt-right conspiracy theory. Um, but you know, we have to look at the evidence, and uh, we need to talk about it, and we will. We'll talk about it more. We just have to be careful about the way we do it. But, uh, Marty, uh, I thank you for sort of leading us into this. Um, well, it's unimaginably evil, but we need to talk about it. And uh, I thank you for the last hour. I enjoyed it. All right. Thank you very much. MartyLeads33.com. Uh, my thanks to Ian Robertson, Albert Vinzel, and uh, Ryan White. All of you for listening at home, thank you for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. And what I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home in about 23 minutes. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.